This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault. On today's show, we are finishing our look into the Best Picture candidates for this year's Oscars. I've been doing this since the first season of ContraZoom way back in 2016. Each episode, we look at two to three of the nominees and the chances they have to win each of their nominations. It's pretty simple. We will label every nomination for a movie as a frontrunner, dark horse, long shot, or just happy to be there. On last week's episode, we had Jeff and Pierre, hosts of Classic Movies Live, come on to discuss Mank and Judas and the Black Messiah. Joining me on the third episode to discuss Promising Young Woman, The Father, and The Trial of Chicago 7 is Joe Aragon, host of House of Cinema, a podcast that reviews a movie every episode and has a fun time with ranks and quizzes based on the subject of the discussion. Joe was previously heard on episode 134, David Fincher Ranked, and I was recently a guest on House of Cinema's Top 5 Best Picture Winners. Thanks for coming back, Joe. How are you? I'm feeling pretty good. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited. This is my first time speaking about this year's Oscars with anybody, so I am locked and loaded, ready to have a really good time with this one. So you are completely ready with all your your hot takes, your cold takes, and everything in between? I believe so. I don't I might have one or two hot takes for this episode. I think I'm I'm pretty set with the the majority for this year's Oscars, but I have a few takes here and there, but I am ready, I am prepared. Excellent. Now, uh what I do every year is I watch every Oscar na- nominate movie and that's called an Oscar death race. And I want to know how your own personal Oscar death race is going if you do participate in that. Uh not including shorts, I have seen 39 of the 41 nominated films. So I also participate in the death race um, to some success and to some failure. Um, I, you know, of the featured film, I, I'm probably in the low 30s currently of 41. I know out of including short films, I'm more towards 40. I, I finished almost all the short films, most of them last night. That was quite the uh, quite the race. But I, I'm there. I, we still have some time. I plan to finish everything by the 25th, but... It is the struggle a little bit sometimes. You you think you're going well, and then all of a sudden you're less than two weeks out, and you're like, "crap, I need to watch about a dozen movies." <laughs> yes, I you know we're we're about two weeks out, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, "wow, I need to watch Eurovision and Love and Other Monsters." I'm like, I don't know if I really wanted to watch those movies, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. The best is when you uh, are watching a movie that's only nominated for a song that's in the end credits. <laughs> oh, no. Is there one like that on there? That's that's uh, Oh, there's, there's a few of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, boy. The Life Ahead uh, is one of them. Uh, let me just quickly look it up. Um, yeah, that's that's the only one where it appears at the very end, because at least the Eurovision song appears a couple times throughout the film. Okay, okay. Uh, and so it's actually a part of it. And whereas the other ones, Juice and the Black Messiah, Trial of Chicago 7... Uh, and One Night in Miami have other nominations as well. <laughs> yes, exactly. So those were easy to catch up on. But um, there's a few other ones. I think, you know, the Tom Hanks ones, Greyhound and News of the World, I haven't gotten to yet. But I'll get to those. I'm excited for those. So it's a it's a race. It's a death race for a good reason. But um, I'm excited. It's always a lot of fun to do. Awesome. Now, I guess before we start, uh, I know we ranked our favorite Best Picture winner since 2000 on your show, and I'll link to it in the show notes. It was a really fun discussion we had, but I want to know if you have any other favorite Best Picture winners from all time. Uh, from all time? That's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I really do like the, the winners that we've had in the past 2000s, but if we go earlier than that, I, I have to admit, although I know a lot of people disagree with this win, um, personally, Rocky is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, it did win Best Picture that year. 
to many people's dismay, it beat Taxi Driver, which I know probably is the correct winner for that year. But I, I have to admit what I love, and I love Rocky, and so that is probably my favorite Best Picture winner of all time. I won't hold that against you. We'll still be friends. Even if, <laughs> thank if you. I thank don't you. Like that one. <laughs> thank you. I know. I know. You know. I know. It's a little cliche, but hey, it's it kicked off the underdog story. It's it's why it's so popular now. It's iconic for a reason, and I personal connection with it. So that is my favorite movie. Well, that's fair. All right, so let's get into this. As I said at the top, we're going to go over three different films, Promising Young Woman, The Father, and The Trial of Chicago 7, and look at each of their nominations to see what they have. So first up, we're going to talk about Promising Young Woman, which has five nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you? One, two, three, four. I will read uh, the nominees that they're up against, but obviously I'm not going to repeat Best Picture every time. So we're going to start with that for Promising Young Woman. And if you don't know by now, the fellow nominees in that category are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of Chicago 7. So this is going to be a very, very divisive film. I have a feeling that when we're, we're talking about voters, we're going to have a section of voters that this is probably going to be you know, their number one or number two film, and then there's probably going to be a large portion of the Academy uh cough cough old white men who are probably mm-hmm. going to put mm-hmm. this at the absolute bottom of their ballot and because best picture is a preferential ballot do you think this is really going to impact it and, and where do you think this might end up falling definitely i think that what you said is spot on i think that it will strike home for a lot of voters and definitely top their ballots at the at the top of the list one or two I know personally, I mean, I'm not a voter, but I know personally for me, it topped my list at three. But like you said, there are a good chunk of voters out there who are still a little bit um, part of the older generation, I guess you could say, where this would probably fall on the lower end of the scale. And with that kind of split, this will definitely fall um, kind of on the wayside, unfortunately, I think, because of just how divisive it's going to be. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I look at this and I consider it maybe a bit of a dark horse, but if it is a dark horse, it's on the lower end of that and maybe even trending closer to the long shot category. A lot of things are really going to have to go right for this movie in order to sort of find a path forward to win. You know, it seems like almost every year there's, there's a type of movie where you need to have an opinion on it because that's what the movie is really putting out there. You know, I look at something maybe like uh, Joker from last year or uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, where it just elicits such strong responses. And, and I've seen some some pretty negative feedback from, from women, too, on the Internet as far as the way that they feel that the movie represents uh, traumas that they may have gone through or known people that have gone through as well. So it's, it's definitely one that's not just, you know, men who feel all men are bad sort of thing where they don't like it. There, there is going to be vocal critics on basically every portion of the Academy where I think it's really going to depend on your own personal experiences. And because of that, I find it really tricky to sort of predict where this is going to end up. I agree completely. I think that 
it would be you, you can't assume that every woman's gonna like this movie because it's a you know a pro woman story or anything like that there are definitely critics on both sides men and women um if i were you know i was looking through this list here i also wanted to give this the dark horse but i i'm leaning more towards it being a long shot as much as i personally love it and i would love to see it succeed um i lean towards more it being kind of a long shot here there's just a lot two other there are a few other movies in this category a little bit more safe a little bit maybe a little bit better to some extent or more powerful um that isn't as divisive and so this movie feels to me like it's probably fits better in the long shot category here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we'll move on to the next category, which is best actress for Carrie Mulligan. And she's up against Viola Davis, Andra Day, Vanessa Kirby, and Frances McDormand. This is a bit of an interesting category where I feel because Frances McDormand just won so recently for three bill three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, does that potentially take her out? Even if Nomadland does look to be the quote-unquote favorite to win Best Picture, does that leave room for Carrie Mulligan to sort of sweep in there and and get the Oscar herself? Because the other films, I I wonder if they have enough to really put the momentum forward Uh, due to the actual quality of the film. I know they're, they're... either mixed or not very well received in the case of the United States versus Billie Holiday. So because of that, I would put Carrie Mulligan as a front runner with the caveat of only if the Academy believes that Francis McDormand won too recently. I a hundred percent agree with this as well. Whether or not Francis McDormand's recent win will affect this is kind of up in the air. I think that it may come into play. There may be people out there who say it's Francis McDormand. She's already won once. She's been, pretty prolific her entire career she's obviously put out a lot of great films especially in the past couple years um and and beyond and carrie mulligan this is like this is it it feels like a good point for her to win in her career i think despite the fact the movie itself being divisive i think a lot of people can agree she is fantastic in the movie i don't think it matters almost if you cared about the message she is quite stunning and, and really phenomenal in this movie I agree she's a front-runner. I think that the rest of her fellow nominees are are great, but maybe the movies themselves uh, not living up to the hype that you mentioned, uh, the United States for Billie Holiday. Even Pieces of a Woman, I've seen a lot of uh, divisiveness in that movie in terms of if people like it, if people don't like it, but everybody can agree Vanessa Kirby is very good. Um, so I, I'm on the same page as you. I really do think Carrie Mulligan's a front-runner. I, I, I would love to see her win, but it's really between her and Frances McDormand, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost seems like the Academy likes to celebrate uh, two different types of careers. The the sort of Lifetime Achievement Award, where you're you're way past overdue, and the, hey, it's your first time nomination, we're definitely giving it to you. So I, I think of someone like Brie Larson, who won for Room, and I almost sort of feel that that might be a similar path for Carrie Mulligan. Yes, yeah, I think that's a really good comparison, where you know she's really put out this really strong, powerful performance, and it's her first time, the Academy may recognize that and and award her for that. All right, so we'll go on to the next category, which is Best Director, and the other nominees are Lee Isaac Chung, David Fincher, Thomas Vinterberg, and Chloe Zhao. This is also a bit of an interesting one. I, I like when Best Picture and Best Director do not go to the same film, frankly, because I don't think they always mean the exact same thing. I like 
my directors to be taking risks, even if they sometimes don't fully work with with the narrative or what the overall movie is trying to do. And because of that, I really like what Emerald Fennel was doing with the tonal shifts and you know, uh, some of the, the sequences like the dance sequence in the pharmacy, the candy oh, coated love fantasy that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then also doing some really interesting thriller aspects as well. Uh, almost verging on horror when Cassie is, uh, working her magic against the would be perpetrators basically. Yeah. Uh, but all that said, I think Emerald Fennel has a very uphill battle to do, uh, with this category because I think, Chloe Zhao is probably the favorite, and if she doesn't win or if they split, maybe Lee Isaac Chung comes in and wins, or maybe David Fincher gets his Lifetime Achievement Oscar. I just think that, based on all of that, she is a dark horse, uh, with the only person that has absolutely no chance to win being Thomas Vinterberg for another round. So, I unfortunately have to try to take my personal bias out of here. I, I would love to consider her a dark horse, but... I think she's more of a long shot for this particular category. You brought up some excellent points. She does take a lot of risks. I mean, this is movie is a risk in general, and, and it succeeded because of the decisions she made. I think she's a, a great director, and, and I, I love what she's done with this movie. I just think that, unfortunately, Chloe Zhao has gotten so much, so much praise for Nomadland, and deservedly so. Nomadland is fantastic, I think, and she's been kind of sweeping everything she's been winning you make another good point in terms of fincher getting his lifetime achievement award will he randomly just win for mank because it's david fincher plus the academy kind of really loves movies about hollywood it kind of leaned towards those movies for some reason Uh, i wonder why and then (laughs) i personally would love to see lee isaac chung win i think he's a front runner i think minari is a phenomenal movie so when I think of front runners, I think of those two. Um, I just think that even Fincher has a leg up on Emerald Fennell, but I think she's maybe she's more low tier dark horse, high tier long shot. Um, it's just going to take some some really strange things to happen if she won Best Director, but very well deserved nomination, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I think I, I agree with you in that it, it is probably more of that in between, closer to long shot than dark horse. All right, so moving on to Best Original Screenplay, the other nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. I sort of view the screenplay categories as a consolation prize for Best Picture, usually given to movies that have a little bit more of an edge to them. And I think Promising Young Woman is probably a a perfect type of film to maybe sweep up and get this award. I don't know if it is the front runner. Uh, probably closer to to Dark Horse. You know, Jews and the Black Messiah has, I think, has an excellent chance there. And if the Academy really loves Aaron Sorkin's dialogue that we'll, we'll kind of talk a bit more later on, maybe that's a path. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little interested to hear what you think of this category. This category is stacked. And, you know, it's not like Best Picture where there's eight, seven options. I mean, we're, we're limited just to the five here. And they've picked five just heaters i think it's crazy that i judas and the black messiah i thought that was adapted before i even saw these categories come out but the fact that it's an original screenplay makes this more difficult but i agree that i think that typically the original screenplays a little have a little bit more edge uh it reminds me of kind of like get out when get out won original screenplay didn't win best picture but it took original screenplay um 
Pulp Fiction took original screenplay. So these are movies a little bit more edge that weren't safe enough to win Best Picture, but they're like, hey, let's give you Best Original Screenplay. So looking at these categories or looking at these nominees, um, I am in the same boat as you. I I think it's a a, a definite dark horse. I would not be surprised or unhappy to see it win Best Original Screenplay. Uh, I do think that kind of depends on a few things in terms of will people go for the Sorkin-esque dialogue style of writing and pick Trial of Chicago 7, which I'm sure we'll talk about, or are they going to go the Minari route? I think it's really between those three uh, that might win this category. But I, I do consider Promising Woman a, uh, a dark horse for this one. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that makes this category a bit tougher to uh, to really predict is the fact that all five of these nominees are Best Picture nominees, whereas in the Adapted Screenplay category, only three of the five are Best Picture nominees. So you know that if it gets a Best Picture nomination, it has a bit of a more broad support already. So that kind of throws a bit of a wrench into things. Correct, yeah. It, it does make things a little bit harder because all these movies are nominated for Best Picture. But I, I do hope that they consider the risk and maybe the the themes that promising young woman has and went for and maybe award it and celebrate it in that category yeah i I just hope this movie gets celebrated in some particular way on the 25th that's all i want yeah yeah i i really like the way that this screenplay is structured so i would be very happy if it ends up winning it's probably my favorite script of the group same same All right, and then the last category for Promising Young Woman is Best Film Editing, and the other nominees are The Father, Nomadland, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. This is is also a bit of a a tricky one. Best Film Editing is usually the best precursor to who is going to win Best Picture, which in this case likely is Nomadland, but Nomadland uses very little editing. It's a very still static film, so I'm, I'm curious if maybe that's going to hinder its chances at all, and they want to go with something a little bit more flashy. Uh, on, you know, we're going to talk about The Father next. That's going to be a really interesting one to see how that plays out, especially since the film came out so late. Yeah. I like what Promising Young Woman did with its editing, especially with its tonal shifts. That's something I really like in a film. I know know last year in Parasite, that was something that a lot of people really liked in that movie as well, was the tonal shifts there. And I wonder if if that maybe helps Promising Young Woman. So... Editing is interesting because, like you mentioned, it sometimes could be a precursor to the Best Picture winner. I don't want to go too much into this category because we are going to be discussing The Father in a second. But uh, in terms of editing, I I would also give Promising Omen closer to a long shot just because Nomadland... I think anytime you have Nomadland in the category, it's already a frontrunner despite whatever the category is. Um, even editing, where you're right, it's a pretty static movie where the editing itself isn't something that's on the forefront. It's still something that people are going to be like, oh, it's Nomadland, and it's a, a big name. It's been winning a lot of awards, so I think you can't really count it out of any category. I do think The Father, though, has a lot of weight to it that we'll get into in a second. So Promising Young Women for editing for me feels like a long shot, but it, like you agreed uh, it, the editing in this movie is fantastic, and um, the tonal shifts in the, in this movie, like Parasite, maybe not the same, similar and different, but I really, really enjoy. I, I have to say, if I was to put a you know um, 
a category on it. I would probably call it a long shot just because of, of the Nomadland factor. And, and interestingly enough, when I did the Sound of Metal episode, uh, one thing that was brought up was, you know, for me, the best part of Sound of Metal was its sound editing. Correct, uh, yeah. And obviously, it's a, it's a real front runner for that. And so I was ready to discount that from the film editing because it's like, oh, you know, the movie works best because of the sound aspects. But then what was pointed out to me was like, well, you know, you still have to actually edit the film to the sound as well. And the mm. fact is, if the Academy really believes that the sound is that great, I wouldn't be then shocked if they end up giving both editing awards to it. Interesting. Interesting. It's possible. It's possible. And whether or not the voters are that in tune with the specifics of editing is a different story, I think. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely a tricky one. So this is going to be this is going to be a really interesting category to to pay attention to on the night of the Oscars, and and it might reveal a lot about how things are trending that night. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, so we're going to move on to our next movie, which is The Father, and it has six nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Film Editing, and Best Production Design. Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How do you do, sir? I say you're gorgeous. Thank you. (laughs) I must say he's charming. Yeah, not always. Laura has come round to help you. I don't need her or anyone else. I can manage very well on my own. Everything all right? Who are you? Actually, it's me, Paul. Who? I live here. What is this nonsense? Anne? It's me. Ah, there she is. Your father seemed a bit confused. Something wrong? Where's Anne? Sorry? Where is she? I'm here. So we'll start with Best Picture again. I already said the nominees earlier, so I'm not going to repeat myself there. Uh, this is this is a tricky one. You know, um, this movie came out so late in the year. It obviously had a, a festival run last year, so people were able to see. I know it played at, at TIFF, and I know it played at other places. And we looked at something like Jews and the Black Messiah, which literally premiered at Sundance in February and then came out, had a wide release uh, like two weeks later after that. So no one saw this movie until February. So it's a real super dark horse in the sense of we don't know how it's trending. I feel like The Father is in a similar level of it's really hard to gauge what the interest, appreciation, love level of this movie is. One that I really, really loved and was blown away, and I would be super happy if it wins, but I don't think it has enough buzz behind it. So, yes, this movie came out very late, and it, you know, like you said, I had to watch everything else up to this point. I had seen seven of the eight, and I was like, all right, I'm ready for The Father, and it came out on you know for public release, just what in, I think in end of March I believe it was or sometime in March it was it came out it was after the Golden Globes because I remember I couldn't really make a good decision on the Golden Globes because I hadn't seen the Father, and you're right it's hard to judge something when you can't really get a good public consensus on how people are feeling about it, um, and now that we have it's still you know, March to April it's not that long. I like the Father a lot. Uh, I I did rank it last in my top uh, when I ranked the best pictures. Um, it's last on my list of favorites. Not to say by any means it's bad. I think it's an excellent movie. I do think this year's films are pretty stacked though, and I think there's a it's a better year than a lot of people are giving credit. I know a lot of people assumed it's 2020s movies. The pandemic happened. It was a rough year for film. Well, I agree, it was a, a rough year for film. I, I think it really produced some some fantastic movies here. 
And looking at these films nominated for Best Picture, I mean, we've had worse years, I think. And this is not one of them. So The Father, to me, is hard to rank. I think it's a long shot for Best Picture. I I almost wrote It's Just Happy to Be There because I think there are a lot of other movies out there that weren't nominated for Best Picture that easily could have been nominated for Best Picture. Uh, You know, The Five Bloods, I think, got really snubbed this year. One Night in Miami, um, which did not get nominated for Best Picture, but nominated for a screenplay, uh, got pretty snubbed. I think either of those movies could easily have been in the place of The Father. Um, So for me, The Father feels like a a real deep long shot to to the point where I think it's just happy to be there. Interesting. Yeah. I, I put it as as a long shot as well, probably edging closer to just happy to be there. I think if it wins, it is probably going to be what I would consider one of the biggest upsets only because it doesn't have any sort of real buzz. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because every year you can kind of be like, oh, it's sort of a two or three horse race with one one movie kind of in the lead. This year, it's like, yeah, Nomadland kind of, but like... Also, I wouldn't be totally shocked if it doesn't end up winning. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, maybe Mank with the David Fincher aspect, despite it not being a very well-received movie, I can kind of see it. And then, you know, Juice and the Black Messiah hit really hard and and the buzz has been kind of instant from right away. And the fact that it got two Best Supporting Actor nominations uh, it really shows that there's a, a immense support behind this movie. I can, like, almost all the movies, I can kind of see a bit of a path. The Father is the, is the trickiest one where if it does end up winning... It's going to be a real surprise. It, yeah, exactly. If the father wins, it'll be the one year where people will go, "What's the father?" And then they have to go back and rewatch it because the you know it, it came out in a time where it came out during pandemic time, and it didn't get a lot of buzz at all. And you know that's not to it say it's a bad movie, but it is definitely a factor in considering what's going to win for best picture. So, yeah, as much as I liked it and I enjoyed it. It, it, to me, it's still just a long, long shot. Uh, so we'll move on now to Best Actor. And the other nominees are Riz Ahmed, Chadwick Boseman, Gary Oldman, and Steven Yeun. This is a, is a bit of an interesting one because I feel like if if Chadwick Boseman had not unfortunately passed away last year uh, I or this movie was not in contention, I absolutely believe Anthony Hopkins would win this. I believe he is going to be a, you know, a very close number two. Uh, and, and so in that case, he is a dark horse that assuming if Ma Rainey's Black Bomb does not have the the love we maybe have, we, we think it has, or Chad Bozeman does not have the support we, we think he might have, I can absolutely see Anthony Hopkins being next in line to, to get the Oscar. So... Opposite of what I was saying about the actual movie itself, where I think it's a long shot or just happy to be there. Yes, Anthony Hopkins is definitely a dark horse, maybe even a front runner to win this category. I really think it's between Chadwick Boseman and Steven Yeun. And then right behind Steven Yeun, I think Anthony Hopkins is there. I think Steven Yeun has gotten a lot of hype, especially in the last two or three weeks since his nomination. People are recognizing the fact that first Asian-American male to be nominated for Best Actor. I think that carries more weight than a lot of people are thinking it should. Um, so I think he's also a front runner. But Anthony Hopkins in this movie is absolutely phenomenal. He is fantastic on all levels. It is why the movie is so good. It's because of Anthony Hopkins. So if he were to win this, no part of me would be 
uh, shocked or upset because he is really, really amazing in this movie. Uh, like you, it's likely going to go to Chadwick Boseman, who I think was probably the best part of Ma Rainey. Uh, I, I enjoyed Ma Rainey to the extent that I put it on and it was an easy watch. But um, I think Chadwick Boseman was the best part about that movie, hands down. His Oscar moment, if you want to call it, in that movie, really, really powerful. But uh, for me, if, if he doesn't win it, I think Steven Yeun could win it. And then I, I honestly would not be surprised if Anthony Hopkins takes this award, though. The only thing I think holding him back from taking it is... Well, he's a, a seasoned veteran. He's he's won that award before. Do we need to give it to him again? Is maybe the mindset that might be going through some voters. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think because his his only other win came in 1991 for Silence of the Lambs. It's been so long. It's been it's been 30 years now. That might have something in his favor, where it's almost like, well, he's overdue. Out of this category, I think Gary Oldman is the only one that has absolutely no shot only because he just won recently for Darkest Hour. Uh, and, you know, if, if we take the Chadwick Boseman part out of the equation, even Riz Ahmed, I think, has a, a fairly equal shot between Stephen Yeun and Anthony Hopkins to to really kind of sweep in there. All this with the caveat being that Chadwick Boseman very likely is going to be the one that wins it, of course. Yeah, he will be in, in um, you know, like I said, I'm not going to be unhappy if Chadwick Boseman wins because I think he his performance was extremely powerful. Um, the scene that I'm referencing is was really great, and uh, it's it's a part of Chadwick Boseman I hadn't seen before in movies. So I'm a big fan of him in that movie, and uh, you know his untimely passing will have a, an odd effect on this for sure. So he's been winning every award up to this point, so I don't expect it to not go to him. Okay, moving on to the next category, Best Supporting Actress. The other nominees are Maria Bakalova, Glenn Close, Amanda Seyfried, and Yoo Jung Yoon. So similarly with Best Actor, where I feel Gary Oldman is the only one who does not stand a chance, I would say Olivia Colman is the only one that does not stand a chance as well in this category since she just won for The Favorite a couple years ago. And and as good as she is in this movie, she does not have that big of a part. She probably is the most true supporting uh, actor in all of this category. All the other ones either are basically either co-leads or scene stealers. And Olivia Coleman doesn't really have either of those things going for her. So for me, she's absolutely just happy to be there. Okay, well, I'm really glad you said that because I thought that might be my hot take. So I'm really glad it's not. Because <laughs> I looked at this list and she was good in the movie, but to me, she wasn't great. I mean, in the favorite, she's great. In this movie, she's good, I think. Uh, compared to her nominees, she's definitely just happy to be there. I can't at this point think of who might have been snubbed, but I'm sure there's somebody out there that I'm missing because it just feels like they put her in there because she's Olivia Coleman. Um which is fine. Olivia Coleman's an excellent actress, but I feel like there might have been other people who have been snubbed that maybe deserve the spot. It's just, in this movie, it's an Anthony Hopkins movie. It's him from start to finish that really carries this movie. And you're right, she's not really in it. And when she's in it, her scenes aren't particularly powerful or well-acted or or the need for well-acted. Um, there's, there's one scene in particular I can think of where you know it's really poignant and sad moment between her and Anthony Hopkins. But other than that, it, it's just a good performance from Olivia Coleman. So I agree. She's just happy to be there for this one. Yeah, she, she's definitely 
doing all the work that she needs to be doing in service of the script, in service of the character, mm-hmm. which is uh, creating this world of uh, an elderly person who uh, is is losing their memory. And, and that's what she's there for. And the fact that you also have Olivia Williams, who kind of plays the same part uh, for people that haven't seen it. Yeah, I don't really want to spoil it too much, but there's definitely some shenanigans that goes on where yeah. uh, you have some double casting going on. Uh, and, and when you include that factor, I, I don't know how much her screen time is. I know there's like different Twitter accounts and something like that. They'll post like what the screen time is for, for every actor in different movies. So that way you can judge how lead or supporting they are. And I don't think she's frankly in the movie that much. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like under 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that much. And, you know, ironically, you get someone like Anthony Hopkins who was in Silence of the Lambs for, what is it, like 16, 15 minutes? You know, he owned the screen (laughs) for those moments. You know, if you're going to be in the movie for 15, 16, 20 minutes, you better own those moments. And Olivia Coleman is is really just just there to service the plot, service the story. Uh, Not particularly anything moving or powerful. She is great or she's good. She's just not what I think should be for this category. Okay, we'll move on to the next category, which is Best Adapted Screenplay. And we've got Borat's subsequent movie film, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. The White Tiger is the only one of this group that I have not seen yet, so I can't really talk that much about it. But the fact that it only has one nomination, I'm probably going to assume that it's probably closer to the long shot or just happy to be their category. But as far as this one goes, I also believe it's probably in the long shot category. You could possibly say that Borat's subsequent movie film could maybe walk away with it just because that might be its only win and it's kind of rewarding Sasha Baron Cohen for being a double nominee, although that would be for another movie as well, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But obviously the real front runner is Nomadland with maybe One Night in Miami playing spoiler. So I can tell you I have seen White Tiger. It is definitely just happy to be there. It is a fine movie. It's not a bad movie. It's just a fine movie, in my opinion. Um, I would agree with you, though. Nomadland, again, is the front runner. I do think One Night in Miami, though, is a strong, strong second, with Borat being a strong third. That puts the father just kind of right in the middle again at long shot, where it's just stuck in a category where its, it's competitors are just a little bit stronger in the sense of tone or what they're kind of going for. Borat itself... While a comedy and kind of uh, offbeat and not everybody's cup of tea, I think the fact of the the climate of the world may have an effect on whether or not it succeeds, especially in Hollywood. Ultimately, it's who's going to beat Nomadland, and this might be a category where Nomadland wins it, but I I would love to see Regina King and One Night in Miami win it. Um, But yeah, going back to The Father, it's, it's definitely a long shot in this category. Next category is Best Film Editing. I already said the nominations earlier, so I'm not going to repeat myself. Uh, we talked a bit about how Nomadland, because by virtue of the fact that it is the you know the big powerhouse movie of the night, uh, it's probably the front runner. But I would say The Father is probably very, very close to being front runner status as well, probably edging slightly to the Dark Horse category. But the editing is what makes this movie so well. I, uh, I compare this maybe to the there's three movies this year that are based on plays. You've got One Night in Miami, you've got Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and you've got The Father. That were all originally plays that have been adapted into films. And what Ma, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I think, does the worst adaptation where it just really feels like it is, you know, a production of a play. They set up a camera and recorded it. 
One Night in Miami, I think they keep the essence of the play, but do some interesting work there to make it seem more cinematic. And The Father, while I can absolutely envision how this would work on a stage, and I really want to see it actually, I think it does the best job of actually making the movie more cinematic and using editing to really confuse the audience to sort of put the character into Antony's position of understanding what it's like to not remember things. And in that case, I really would be super happy if this ends up winning Best Film Editing. So I love that you brought up the fact that this is a play, and I like that you brought up the other two. Because I think in One Night in Miami and Ma Rainey, you definitely can get those vibes that this was a stage production because of the way it's filmed. It's you know minimal sets. It's it's filmed in like one location. There's a lot of extended monologues. Um, and they feel like plays turned into movies. One Night in Miami, I think, better than Ma Rainey. But I think if you were to tell maybe a common movie watcher or even a seasoned movie watcher, uh, even myself, I think I don't even think I realized it was a play because of how well this movie is edited. It is it is something. Um, and it's why it's so good. The editing in this movie makes it at points. And, and I don't want to give too many spoilers, but there are points where I'm watching this. And it feels like a thriller or it feels like a horror movie because of the way it's edited. And I think it's fascinating that it's able to, to really achieve this uh, from a, a stage production. I, I like you would love to see a stage production of this because I, I would just be so beyond thrilled to see how they accomplish it. But in the movie, it works so well to a point where I could not believe what I was watching. I was thrown off at first, but once you really get into it, it is uh, quite an achievement. So if it won Best Editing, I think that would be completely well-deserved. I agree, it's a dark horse, but it is something to keep an eye out for. Yeah, for me, there's like one scene in particular that just like absolutely blow my blew my mind. Uh, for anyone that's seen it, it would be the dinner table scene yes, where yes. Anthony, you know, peers around the corner and he sees uh, his daughter and her husband having a conversation about p- potentially putting him in a home, and then they see him, and then they stop the conversation, they sit down, they have dinner. And then he leaves the room and then he comes back and it's repeating itself and just like kind of blew my mind of the way they structured that scene. Oh, it yeah. It was all done because of editing. Oh, yeah. It is flawless. It, it's so seamless. It. I feel like when I watched that scene, I was like starting to catch on. The dialogue was repeating itself and I was like, is this happening again? And then it, oh, it is very good. It gives me chills just thinking about that scene. So I agree with you. So we're going to talk about the final category for this movie now, which is Best Production Design. And the other nominees are Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, News of the World, and Tenet. Frankly, I have no idea why Ma Rainey's Black Bottom got this nomination. Uh, I'm sure it must have been very difficult to make that uh, cold, empty basement. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe. Or recreate a <laughs> recording studio. Uh, so, frankly, that is just happy to be there. I have no idea why it was there. Uh, the Father, despite the fact that it only takes place in one room, I love the fact that they utilized, not one room, one set, one location. I love the way they utilize that house where you aren't really sure what the orientation is, what direction is the bedroom, where's the front door, what's the living room, that all kind of played in. And the fact that things were changing subtly from scene to scene really helped add to the confusion aspect. I don't know if it's going to win, but I would absolutely love it to. I would probably put it, once again, much like film editing, a very strong dark horse. So I love the production design in this movie. Agree, Ma Rainey is probably in the Just Happy to Be There. 
I can't comment on News of the World because I haven't seen it just yet. Probably we'll get to that later this weekend. But the production design in The Father, I think, is really subtle but really powerful. Like you said, the house itself is almost its own character. It is identifiable at times, and other times I'm like, are we in the same place? Because it changes so often, but they keep little things here and there to make you think you're in the same place, and they change things, they take a painting down, they change colors. It's a a really important aspect of the movie because it makes us feel like Anthony Anthony Hopkins' character, where we are... Are we forgetting certain things? Are we misremembering certain things? I think it plays a really important part in the plot and just the overall message this movie is trying to get across. And so because of that, I also agree it's a strong dark horse to where I would want to put it as a front runner because I really do think the production design is is underrated in this movie. It is really, really great and plays a really important role. All right, so that wraps up The Father. Now we're going to talk about our final movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7. We want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. And there's no place to be right now but in it. We watched for a decade while these rebels without a job tell us how to prosecute a war. They're going to spend their 30s in a federal facility, real time. People say, you know, Abby, are you concerned about an overreaction from the cops? Holy shit. (laughs) You all right? This movie also has six nominations, including Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Screenplay, Best Film Editing, Best Cinematography, and Best Original Song. So, this this is an interesting one. I I really like this movie, and I know I'm a bit uh, of an outlier as far as that goes, is of being a supporter of it. And it's sort of funny, the more time that has passed and the more uh, negative criticism I see and read and hear about this movie, the more I, I basically sort of feel like Anthony of like, did I actually really like the movie or not? <laughs> um, when this movie came out, it was it looked like it was an absolute front runner to win Best Picture. The fact that this year we're this past year we were basically devoid of all uh, big budget films, even you know big prestige films. Other than this movie, the only big uh, big prestige film is Mank, which is pretty esoteric at times in the, in the concept of it's based on a movie from 1937, I believe, is when Citizen Kane came out. Or no, sorry, in the 40s, 40. One maybe I I'm blanking. It's it's late 30s, early 40s. Yeah, I, I can't remember either. So don't worry. They're they're fists. At me. <laughs> um, which it's is still you know a bit of an obscure film, despite the fact that you know it's widely considered one of the greatest films of all time. Especially with a bit of a younger generation have not seen it. Um, so Trial of the Chicago Seven really is the only big quote unquote prestige movie to come out this year, and it went from being a front runner to maybe it's near the bottom of the list. I don't know if I, I, I feel like I need to talk this out with you a little bit because I have it listed as a front runner in the sense of if Nomadland doesn't end up winning it, if Minari doesn't come through, if Jewish and the black Messiah doesn't sneak up and steal it away, is the trial of Chicago seven next in line to really do it with maybe broad support as far as everyone's putting it, you know, maybe number two or number three or number four on their ballots. And that helps elevate it because it doesn't have as many uh, dissenters in it. I don't know. Like help me understand. (laughs) This is easily the trickiest movie of the bunch. I think, because like you said, when it came out, it, 
100% had a real big, this is the front runner to win the Oscars. It was the movie to beat. It was the movie to see. People were like, this is it. But as time went on, like you, I started reading more and seeing more criticism come out and more people not speak out against it, but maybe not support it as strongly. And oddly enough, I'm not sure where to put it either because I feel like it at one point was a front runner, but now I'm thinking, is it down in like the long shot area? But I also wouldn't be surprised if it ended up winning a best picture. It's hard to say because obviously what it, it concerns is very relevant to the climate in the United States these past year or so. Will that play a factor in it winning? And if it does play a factor in it winning, will that be a detriment to it? Will people say, well, it only won because of what was happening in 2020? Um, it's really, really hard to put any judgment on this movie. When I watched it, I, I loved it. And I haven't had a chance to watch it since my first watch, but I'm wondering if I'm going to like it a second time. I mean, I'm I'm going to admit I am a sucker for anything Sorkin. I, I love his writing, and I, I just watched Steve Jobs for the first time recently. I fell in love with that movie. I, I absolutely love what he does. So I'm a little bit biased in the sense that I really enjoy everything Sorkin does. But, boy, it is really difficult to put a rating on this because I just don't know where it's going to fall. But like you said, Nomadland feels like it's an obvious frontrunner. Minari feels like a frontrunner as well. I think it's between those two movies. Uh, Mank itself, I love Mank. And I'm, I was really surprised by the amount of people who didn't like Mank. But you bring up a good point that it's about a movie that came out in a year that both of us don't know, sometime in the 30s or 40s. Um, <laughs> and it's a, a black and white movie, which sounds dumb, but you know, may turn some people off immediately to watching it. And it concerns a subject that if you haven't seen Citizen Kane, you may not really care. Uh, the performances are great, but if if you just haven't seen Sister Kane, you just may not want to watch it, or you may not even understand it if you do watch it. So it's a really like niche film, where I I personally love it. I thought it was going to be the the front runner to win this, but now I'm looking at a list and I'm like I don't think so anymore. Um, so, gosh, Charles Chicago Seven is a hard one to pick because I think it really resonates well with younger audiences. I've seen a lot of younger people who watch this movie and and find it really powerful. Maybe because it's very informative. It tells a story that a lot of young audiences maybe haven't heard of. And that's great. It's important. I think it, that's an important aspect to it. So I, I just don't know. I, I <laughs> This is tough. I, I, I put it in the long shot, but then I'm thinking to myself, hey, if it won, I would not be surprised. So this is tough. I'm glad you're having as difficult time as I am. Yeah, I, re- I really, really am. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, I, I'm, I'm typing my list up in preparation for this. I'm like, oh, yeah, long shot. And then as soon as I start thinking about it and talking about it, I'm like, man, I, I really don't know what I'm talking about. And it's so tough because right now with this exercise, I'm trying to remove my own personal opinions on the movie and, you know, what how I rate it so highly and, and things like that. And where will the Academy as a voting block 
what will they do with it? And that is the absolute trickiest thing to figure out with this film. I can understand the rest of them where they're probably going to get support from. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one almost seems a little bit trickier, especially since I don't want to say thematically they're, they're the same, but Judas and the black Messiah also kind of tackles some, some similar issues considering the fact that Fred Hampton is a character in both of these movies. So you can see if you're going for sort of the social justice movie, Judas and the black Messiah, I think has a bit more support because it's a, bit better made and it's yes. got some very strong performances as well and stuff like that so if they're together and you're you know trying to rank them i'd have to assume that jews and the black messiah will get ranked higher it's, i agree i, I agree maybe. yeah that, that's that's <laughs> I, I make a really good point that correct it may not be the same movie but they do tackle issues of social justice and uh just in different terms of different history point points in our history um it's hard to say. It be you know, Trial of Chicago Seven. It just won the Best Ensemble Award at the SAGs, which I think is something we can't ignore. That is typically a good indicator as well that it's performing well at the award circuit. Um, the performances in this movie, I think, are absolutely fantastic. I think I think we're going to talk to it in a second, but I think everybody really is on their A game in this movie. So. Every good point I point out about Trial of Chicago 7, I feel like there's an equal, maybe negative point. So it's just like, it's really hard to put, place this movie. Okay, I, I think I think we've consternated enough about this film <laughs> uh, because we could definitely keep going uh, as far as that category goes. We'll move on to the next one, which is Best Supporting Actor for Sasha Baron Cohen. And his other nominees are Daniel Kaluuya, Leslie Odom Jr., Paul Racy, and Lakeith Stanfield. Now, I mentioned it a little bit when we were talking about adapted screenplay, how Sasha Baron Cohen is one of about a dozen people that wrote that Borat subsequent movie film. And I wonder if maybe that will be the Academy awarding him for both, because I, I think this is absolutely Daniel Kaluuya's award to lose. Uh, and after that, you basically have Leslie Odom Jr. and Paul Racy, who are probably next in line behind that with Lakeith Stanfield being the only one that's just happy to be there. Uh, especially since there's a little bit of category fraud going on with with his nomination. Oh, definitely. Uh, and yeah, so I feel like Sasha Baron Cohen is probably a uh, soft three, hard four in this category. I don't really know, and, and I do I do know that the Academy likes when uh, people are, are nominated in multiple categories to basically be like, "We're giving you one Oscar." So, I think Sasha Baron Cohen in this category is maybe a dark horse, and and, and here is why. I think that Paul Racy and Leslie Odom Jr., both very good in their movies. I think they're both just happy to be there. One Night in Miami really hasn't seen much love besides the screenplay category. Doesn't really have much other uh, categories really going for it. Paul Racy, I think, is just the fact that he's a slightly unknown name. Fantastic in Sound of Metal. But I think because he's not at the maybe stardom level of... Daniel Kaluuya, Sasha Baron Cohen, or Keith Stanfield. A lot of people may look at that name like, uh, I don't know who he is. He's more of a long shot to me. The Keith Stanfield nomination actually angers me. This makes me kind of angry and upset to look at this and say, Judas and the Black Messiah, two best supporting actors. I mean, it almost implies like, is there even a best act? Who's the lead role in that movie? Is there no best actor? The then? joke being Jesse Plemons was the lead actor, which is absolutely insane to even think that he's uh, the, the sort of lead actor in that movie. So I think it's a really not tragic. This is a little dramatic, but I really do think it's a, a mistake to have Lakeith in the supporting actor category. 
Uh, you're right, it is Daniel Kaluuya's to win, but I think the fact that Sasha Baron Cohen is a very well-known actor, but he's very well-known for one thing, and that's basically his comedy. And um, his real, you know, he's been really popular lately with his political activism, which is great, but I think that his switch from Borat to Sasha Baron, uh, to his character in Trial of Chicago 7 as Abby Hoffman I think that that might be more recognized than people are giving credit. We're taking a, a you know, an actor who's typically more comedic um, in a more serious role with a lot of comedy aspects to him. Uh, I think that might be celebrated more than I think people are giving credit to because it is a comedic actor taking on a more serious role in a more serious subject matter for sure. So he's definitely my favorite part about the Trial, trial of Chicago 7. Um, ultimately... This is Daniel Kaluuya's award to lose, so I don't know if it even matters, but I, I would not be surprised too much if he ended up winning this, but uh, ultimately, it, it will go to Daniel Kaluuya. It's interesting, because I feel like uh, on the actor side of things, that we have such locks with Chadwick Boseman, Daniel Kaluuya, and on the actor side of things, it's so up in the air, and I can see basically rolling a dice and, and picking a winner out of a hat to see who wins, and then they do a rock, paper, scissors off to see who moves on from that round, where I, I don't know who's going to win. But yeah, the, the best actor and best supporting actor seem as close to locks of yeah, anything it really does. the Academy Awards this year. It really does. And that's, you know, I'm perfectly fine with that because I think the two front runners were excellent, but... Yeah, this year it feels like a lock for Daniel Kaluuya, but I don't want to ignore how good Sasha's performance was in this movie because I think it was the highlight of the movie at points. I, I agree too. Yeah, I didn't. I haven't mentioned my feelings on on really any of the performances, but yeah, he was the absolute standout for me. I know a lot of people really were hoping Mark Rylance would be the one that would get the nomination for supporting actor, uh, but yeah, I, I think Cohen was the real star of this film. Agreed. Agreed. So the next category is Best Original Screenplay. We mentioned the nominees earlier. I love Aaron Sorkin as a writer. His his dialogue is top-notch. He might go down in history as the greatest screenwriter of all time, in my opinion. I don't think he's a great director, frankly. Uh, Both this movie and Molly's Game, frankly, could have been uh, directed by, I don't know, uh, putting numbers into a spreadsheet and figuring out what is an optimal shot. He doesn't really have the heart and soul that a lot of directors have of, of creating a really unique visual experience, but that does not take away from his writing. And I think probably the best part of Trial of Chicago 7 is his writing. And I would not be shocked if they end up awarding this, considering the fact that the Academy loves him so much. Yeah, and you're not alone in that feeling. I mean, he wasn't nominated for Best Director, this year's Academy Awards. So I think a lot of people are in that same boat where they love his writing, but his directing is just maybe not there yet, or he hasn't found the right film to really put passion into. I, I mean, be honest, I love Molly's Game. I think it's super fun. Uh, by no means, I think it's like an Oscar and a worthy movie, but I really enjoy watching it. Um, but again, everybody loves the Sorkin writing. And like you, I love it as well. He may go down as one of the best screenwriters of all time for all that he's done. Uh, he's definitely created some iconic material in terms of TV and movies. So him winning original screenplay would not be a shocker. I think that he's definitely a dark horse because of 
actually, now that I'm looking at it, maybe he's a front runner. Uh, I, I just because of the name itself, he might be a front runner in this one. So would not be shocked if he took this award away. Yeah, he's he's a very soft front runner for me. Uh, who would be your next uh, front runner for this? I'm curious for this category. Uh, th- th- that's tricky. Probably, probably promising young woman. Okay. Okay. Um, or even Judas and the Black Messiah. I don't know. I, I feel overall, I think this is a, a pretty strong category. I think the only one that doesn't really have a chance is, is maybe Sound of Metal, just because so much of that story is based on what we hear and what the characters can and cannot hear. Mm-hmm. And I don't. Obviously, you have to write the sign language aspects, but I wonder if that is going to be a, a knock against it for voters. Yeah, that's a really good point. I agree. Promising Omen is still my my lead for the to win this category. And the other nominees, Minari, Judas, and Sound of Metal, all great, because this is a stacked category. But I, again, Sorkin, you can never count Sorkin out in a writing category. I think that would be mm-hmm. uh, that would be a mistake on anybody's part to say he doesn't have a chance to win. He could basically write anything, and if he's nominated, he has a chance to win. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so the next category is Best Film Editing. We've also already gone over these nominations. This movie does a little bit with the editing as far as doing flashback sequences, especially in the courtroom when they're giving their testimony and you're you're hearing how they want to present themselves versus how things maybe actually happen. So there's a little bit of editing going on, uh, more so than maybe the frontrunner Nomadland, but uh, comparing it to maybe some of the other films like The Father and Promising Young Woman. It definitely has a lot less of an impact going on for it. So in in that case, I'm probably putting it as a dark horse long shot, probably closer to a long, um, probably closer to a long shot. Maybe even if you want, I can make the argument for just happy to be there. But yeah, I guess probably I would say long shot. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about film editing a lot more than I thought we were going to talk about, but that's a good thing. <laughs> and it's definitely for me in the long shot category with just touching the just happy to be there category or ranking it is um nothing that really stands out like you know the editing really stands out in the father and it really stands out in promising woman maybe the lack of editing really stands out in nomadland but the editing in in trial chicago 7 doesn't it's not something that i look at and think whoa look at the editing in this movie so it is a long shot i don't anticipate it ever winning this category but um you know it, it could easily be just happy to be there So the next one is Best Cinematography, and we have not talked about those nominees yet. Uh, So the other ones are Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, and Nomadland. I I absolutely feel this is just happy to be there. Oh, yeah. You know, I was talking about with with the editing and even the directing, there really is not a lot of, of really interesting dynamic things going on as far as the shot composition goes, especially compared with some of the other things. I know you haven't seen News of the World yet. A big part of that is capturing the landscapes of the American West, which it does really well. Mank with its, you know, very vivid black and white cinematography. Juice and the Black Messiah does some really interesting compositions. Nomadland, the way it, it just f- sort of photographs everything, the landscape, mm-hmm. the, the sky, the sunset, the sunrise, so much beauty going on there. Trial of Chicago 7 doesn't do any of Not that. at all. This is 100% just happy to be there. I'm trying to think of other movies that came out that year that deserve a spot over this. I know The Five Bloods. I I think The Five Bloods got real snubbed this year. I was a really big fan of that movie. But that movie, 
I think has great cinematography. I think Minari has better cinematography. Um, boy, I don't know how this this movie snuck into this category, but it did, and for that reason, it is hundred percent just happy to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's probably at least close to a half a dozen other Oscar-nominated movies. Not even including, you know, I've got some favorites that were completely snubbed by the Oscars that I'd love to slot in there. But looking at other Oscar-nominated films, I could probably name about a half a dozen that deserve to be in it over Trial of Chicago 7. I 100% agree. 100% agree. So then the last nomination for the Trial of the Chicago 7 is Best Original Song, uh, which is Hear My Voice. Hear my And its other nominees are from Jews and the Black Messiah, Eurovision Song Contest, The Life Ahead, and One Night in Miami. This is always a bit of a, a tricky category to really predict. Uh, on the last episode, if people listened to it, we got an epic rant from Jeff about how he believes uh, that this category has basically become best end credit song. And because of that, he hates the category because it could be so much better. And ever since hearing him talk about that, it has absolutely changed my opinion of this category. And I, too, really hate this category as well. Husevic is the only song that actually is incorporated into the movie properly. The rest of them are end credit songs. So this is hard for me to choose because I I know some of these, if, I, if you played them for me, I would know it. But... None of them really stick out to me. Usually there's one every year that like really sticks out to me as as a, a great song and an Oscar-worthy song. And I would agree with uh, Jeff's assessment that it, it does feel like an end credit song award rather than giving an award to a song that's been incorporated into the film and woven through the film. Um, I'm really sad they didn't nominate the Wuhan virus song from uh, the Borat movie, which I know a lot of people were kind of joking about that they might do. But I thought that would have been a really funny nomination to get in here because it does play kind of a pivotal role in the movie itself in Borat. Looking at this list, honestly, I I don't know if I'm even well-versed enough to tell you what's the winner here because unfortunately I haven't seen The Life Ahead and I unfortunately haven't seen Eurovision yet. So I will have to refrain from giving this one a ranking because I just don't feel like I know enough yet. So whatever you go with, I'm going to agree with you. That, that's fair. I, I think for me, the front runner is probably Fight For You from Jews and the Black Messiah. It's It's got a, a really good message behind it. It's also probably the most catchy out of all of them. Uh, the Life Ahead, that song is written by Diane Warren, who's got about 20 Oscar nominations in this category, and she's never won. So she could be a bit of a dark horse of the Academy, mm-hmm. finally giving their due. It's a little bit tricky. Uh, I know there's a lot of love for Speak Now from One Night in Miami, uh, the the end credit song that Leslie Odom Jr. sings, which he's got a, a fantastic voice, and, and maybe this is one that they, they want to award the movie to. Husevic, I love Eurovision Song Contest. I, I wouldn't say I love it. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and this is probably the most boring song in the entire movie. Oh, interesting. Uh, and the fact that this is the one that got nominated is a little frustrating because they have a whole bunch of original songs that are way better. Obviously, some of them are a little more jokey, uh, which maybe that's why they went with the serious ballady one. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, it's definitely going to be funny if uh, if Will Ferrell wins an Oscar for a song. Yeah, that would be pretty hilarious. The Speak Now song from One Night in Miami is the one song I can actually hear in my head and I really, really love. Um, I, I just watched Over the Moon, which was one of the animated movies. I'm, the music in that movie was, I thought, really great. I'm surprised it was not nominated for any type of music piece in this category, but... That being said, I'll have to give you a better ranking or rating once I watch Eurovision and The Life Ahead. That's fair. Uh, send me send me a tweet or something, and I'll, I'll retweet you. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let you know. <laughs> awesome. So that is the three different movies. We're just going to quickly maybe recap of how many awards we actually think these movies are going to walk away with. As far as Promising Young Woman goes, I think it probably has one, maybe two wins, depending on how Best Actress and, and Best Original Screenplay goes. Mm-hmm. I think it probably tops out at two, unfortunately. I agree. Uh, what about you? No, I agree completely. I yeah. think it tops out at two. Would love to see it maybe sneak a win for Best Picture. That'd be kind of fun. But I think it tops it at two um, with Best Actress probably being its best chance to win an Academy Award. And then as far as The Father goes, this was a bit of a tricky one. We we had a bit of back and forth about this. I think it maybe only walks away with one, and that's either editing or production design. I would love it if they get both, but I, I think they're probably only going to get one of them and likely being production design. Yeah, I'm also leaning one or two, and in the, those same categories, um, if Hopkins sneaks a win for ha- actor, you won't see me crying at all. But uh, I think ultimately it's a strong front runner in the editing and production design categories for sure. And then for Trial of Chicago 7, I think it's only going to be one maybe and that's for original screenplay. And that really depends on if the Academy has soured on this movie or not. Yeah, uh, agreed again. I think it at one, it's probably going to be original screenplay. Again, maybe the songs, I need to re-listen to all of them. But uh, I think ultimately it's going to be Sorkin who wins it for this movie if they win anything well joe i want to thank you very much for coming on the show again it's always a blast getting to talk movies with you what is coming up for your show i know you're celebrating a24 during the month of april a subject i am intimately familiar with but uh let me know what you have going on of course well thank you for having me on i love talking about movies obviously but i'm more excited to talk about the oscars my first time talking about it these oscars with anybody so Thank you for letting me uh, say my thoughts. Maybe not so many hot takes as I thought, so that makes me feel a little bit better. But uh, I always enjoy being on your show. As you mentioned, yes, our podcast, The House of Cinema, we are celebrating 824 April. So every week will be an 824 movie. Last week, we discussed Good Time. This upcoming week, we'll be discussing The Spectacular Now. Um, The following week will be Uncut Gems. And then I believe you'll be joining me for week four for i think we chose the green room together so i think that will be yeah um our discussion but yeah everything a24 talking about why we love it why it's important um it's just a lot of fun to talk about these movies awesome and uh where can people find your work and follow you yeah check out the house of cinema you can find us on instagram on tiktok and twitter just look up at house of cinema and then uh podcast is available basically anywhere you can find a podcast spotify apple stitcher um anywhere else just let me know Um, but we're basically everywhere fantastic well that wraps up our three-part series going over all eight best picture nominees on next week's show we will be having our annual predictions episode with who we think should win and who we want to win let us know who you think will take home the top movie prize follow the show on instagram twitter and facebook at contrazoom pod 
and you can send an email to contrazoompod at gmail.com. Make sure to visit contrazoompod.com for all your CZP needs. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you can rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts, it will be a huge help for us to grow and find new listeners. Thanks for listening.